Psalm 64. Just a reminder uh, as to what the Psalms are about. There are two summaries I've given you there uh, to help us to remember what the Psalms are all about. They are, I guess, themes, if you will, of the Psalms. The first comes from Dr. Kendall Easley. He was my professor at Mid-America. Great teacher. He writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so if you want to know kind of an overarching theme of the Psalms, this is it. Uh, The Psalms consistently remind us to cling to God, entrust, uh, maintain our confidence in Him, whether we are on the mountaintop or walking through the valley. God's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our trust. And that theme comes shining through the psalms. And remember, uh, these psalms were written to be used in corporate worship among the people of Israel. So it's literally a hymn book. And John Piper brings that out when he writes, The psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. My wife and I were talking uh, one of our trips in the van on vacation about emotions and how God has wired us to be emotional creatures and how emotions are important. And Piper goes on to say, poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And that's why we love the Psalms so much, because we read them and we see emotions and we can resonate and connect with the emotional displays that we see found in the Psalms. And so uh, just some reminders as to why the Psalms are so important and why they are so dearly loved. Uh, I'm titling this uh, teaching time on Psalm 64, Hear My Voice, based upon something David said. And notice there in the small letters to the choir master, a Psalm of David. So a reminder written to be sung by a choir. It was written by David, King David. And uh, we'll just start reading there in verse 1, and then I'll, um, I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in working our way through this psalm. The Bible says, Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Notice how it starts. Hear my voice. Hear my voice. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search, for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears, they tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. Verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exult. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family and to step away from the busyness of life, to take a deep breath and to sit down and and uh, Lord, in an air-conditioned room with our Bibles open and just let you speak to us. Uh, And so, God, I pray that as we study, you would, uh, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts by your Spirit, that we would understand your Word, that we would be moved by your Word, that we would be inclined to respond to your Word. So, God, just have your way in our midst, touch our hearts, change our lives for the glory 
of your great name. God, I pray that because of what happens in this room tonight, uh, tomorrow will look different for us. That we will, Lord, in a greater way be ambassadors for you. Letting our light shine so that your name, the fame of your name, will spread like wildfire. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a psalm about prayer because he begins the psalm, Hear my voice. He's saying to the Lord, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm praying. Would you hear me as I pray? And by the way, isn't it good news that God does hear our voice? When we pray, He hears us. That's why Jesus taught us over in Matthew 7, uh, ask it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open unto you. When you come to the Lord in prayer, He responds, He hears, which is one of the most incredible realities of the Christian life. We can talk to God, the creator of the universe, the sovereign, majestic, almighty God, and He hears us. Isn't that an incredible thought? Little old Wade Humphreys, He hears me when I pray. And, and David here is saying, Hear my voice, O God. And again, we see David in the midst of trouble. Most of his psalms mention trouble. Psalm 23. Remember the great Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. You think, well, that doesn't mention trouble. It's about sheep and still waters and restoring my soul. You remember when it says a little bit later in that psalm, uh, prepare a table before me, uh, a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And so the Psalms consistently, written by David, consistently mention trouble. And in this Psalm, he's dealing specifically with enemies, people that were coming against him. And David had a lot of enemies throughout his life. That's why it's so hard to pinpoint the different Psalms, what historical situation he's dealing with, because so much of his life, he was hunted and surrounded by people that wanted to destroy him. But notice here, in the midst of his trouble, once again, David calls out to God. And Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century, uh, uh, makes mention of this when he writes, It is our duty to note how constantly David turns to prayer. It is his battle axe, I love that, and weapon of war. He uses it under every pressure, whether of inward sin or outward wrath, foreign invasion or domestic rebellion, We shall act wisely if we make prayer to God our first and best trusted resource in every hour of need. Which leads to this question. Is prayer your first and best trusted resource in your hour of need? Is prayer the first place you go when you find yourself in difficult circumstances? Good question to ask. And David certainly... Uh, exemplified that, going to prayer first. And so we have much to learn from David. I just want to kind of walk through this psalm and point out uh, parts of David's prayer and make application to our lives as we see this prayer unfold where David asked God to hear his voice. In this psalm, first of all, David asks for protection from fear. Protection from fear. Several things, but first of all, he asks protection from fear. This is really significant. In verse 1, he says, Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the enemy. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Preserve my life from the enemy. Is that what it says? There's a phrase in between that. What's it say? From the dread of the enemy. The Hebrew word there is pakad. Pakad. It's the word translated fear in many other places in the Old Testament. Fear or 
dread or uh, concern. And so David here is saying, would you uh, preserve my life from fear of the enemy? Now he's going to talk about the enemy in just a moment, but David wants God, first of all, to deal with his fear. Did you know sometimes fear of what could happen is, can sometimes be more troubling than what could happen? That makes sense? Worry and anxiety can really do a number on you, can't they? And you can find yourselves worrying and anxious and fearful about things that may never even happen, right? And so David here is saying, not only am I concerned about the enemy, I'm concerned about my dread of the enemy. (laughs) And so preserve me from living in fear. Preserve me from letting fear, dread, rule my life. You've heard me say this before, that there are... Uh, and I haven't counted this, I've heard this secondhand, so if you count and find something different, let me know. Uh, but I've heard it said that there are 365 uh, different occasions in the Bible where we are told not to fear. Uh, that's one for every day of the year. Amen? And so, again, if you count and find something, if you find 364 or 367, let me know. But, uh, but, but there is that overarching idea throughout God's Word that we are not to live in fear. Fear is, can be crippling, and it can uh, make you miserable, and it can keep you from moving forward. It can keep you from um, following God's will for your life. And so David asked for protection from fear. David here asked for protection from Secondly, David asked for protection from the schemes of his enemies. Look in verse 2. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. And then down in verse 5. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. So the people who were against David, and again, we don't know what situation this is dealing with. It could be the Philistines. It could be Absalom as he rebelled against David. It could be Saul and his... um, his government as they hunted David down, but he's, he's speaking here of, of people plotting secretly to destroy him. And he's asking God for protection from the schemes of his enemies. You can imagine how disconcerting it would be to have the most powerful people in the land coming up with ways to kill you. That would be disconcerting, right? I mean, if the most powerful people are hunting you down. And that's what David's dealing with here. So he says, God, would you, would you protect me from their schemes? And you might say tonight, well, I'm, I'm so glad that you know, I live in Hernando, Mississippi, and, and uh, I love my small town, and, and um, you know, I don't have anybody hunting me down, and I don't have to worry about evil people scheming against me. I don't have to worry about enemies in my life. I'm just living a, you know, just a, just a good old... Uh, Hernando, Mississippi life. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Can I remind you that the Bible says that Satan and his demonic realm have schemes that they're working up to destroy you? Do you know that? Ephesians 6, Satan wants to destroy you. And it says they work together schemes, schemata, trying to destroy you. And so even though you may not have someone hunting you down, wanting to kill you in this life, you have an enemy, Right? His name is Satan in his demonic realm, and the battle is real. So we need to be aware of that and, and pray like David prayed for protection from the schemes of his enemies. 
Third, David asked for protection from the vast numbers of his enemies. Look in verse 2. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. So this isn't just like one dude after David. This is, this is a throng of people. David could trust no one. Everywhere he looked, there was danger. He's always looking over his shoulder, people hunting him down. There was evil everywhere. And I was thinking about this, and I just I can identify. Do you ever feel like when you watch the news or you just look around what's happening in our world, there's evil everywhere? It's just everywhere. I mean, you think about things like uh, human trafficking, uh, evil dictators, terrorism, uh, violent crime. You just think about the, the, the things happening in our culture. I mean, just right all around us and in our world. And, and anywhere you go in the world, there's danger. And, and, and you think, man, there's evil everywhere. And I kind of feel that's what David's saying here. There's evil everywhere, God. Would you preserve my life from the throng of evildoers? There are evil folks everywhere. And you and I can pray that same prayer from the vast numbers of enemies, the vast numbers of evil people that are all around us. And then David asked for protection from the malicious words of his enemies. Look in verse 3. He says, these evildoers... They wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. And so David here helps us to understand that one of the major weapons of his enemies was words. They used their words that were malicious to slander him, to destroy him, to... Uh, ruin his life, Uh, the malicious words of his enemies. James Montgomery Boyce writes, In this psalm, David's enemies are not attacking him openly and directly, but rather behind his back and by malicious words. There is no adequate defense against that. Think about that. When Anyone can say anything they want to about you. Right? And how do you defend yourself against that? There's no adequate defense against that. So David does the only wise and effective thing, Boyce says, and that is to bring his complaint to God. Who uh, We would be wise to bring everything to God, whatever our particular burden may be. So as his enemies are malicious and are destroying with words, David understands these folks are out to get me. It's not going to do me any good to defend myself. I'm going to God. God, would you preserve me from the, the arrows... Of my enemies, their malicious words. And you and I understand that words can be a weapon, right? Absolutely, words can be a weapon and they can be used to destroy lives. And you've probably seen lives destroyed through malicious words or you've been affected by malicious words or someone saying something about you that is simply not true. And and David here takes that that angst and that concern straight to the Lord. Now listen to me. If people lie about you, if people say malicious things about you, if people say untrue and unkind things about you, you're in good company because they did that to Jesus. Right? And, and if they'll do it to Jesus, they'll certainly do it to you. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that Jesus left us an example to follow in His steps how you and I are to respond when we suffer 
unjustly. And he even mentions words there. When we are accused and slandered, we follow the pattern of Jesus who did not respond with petty bickering, but He simply entrusted Himself to the Father. We're called when we find ourselves surrounded by enemies and there are the arrows of malicious words coming toward us. We are called to put it in God's hands because God will handle it better than we can. And then David asked for protection not only from fear and schemes and numbers and words, but he asked for protection from the lengths to which his enemies will go. David understands how desperate his enemies are to destroy. Look in verse 5. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They are committed to their evil. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, Who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, We have accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. In other words, these evil folks are saying, No one knows what we're doing. We're going to get away with it. We can do whatever we want. We're not accountable. They're thinking no one can see our actions. Of course, they were wrong. God saw everything that they did. But but because they thought they were not accountable to anyone or anything, because they thought they would get away with it, they would go to great lengths to destroy David. The wicked here and the wicked today buy into the lie that they are not accountable to anyone. I heard uh, a pastor sharing this the other day. Uh, He said his parents... Um, raised him to understand that he's accountable to God, that, that God is real and God is God and God is his Father. And, and he said, uh, they taught me that God sees everything that I do. And he says, so when I became a teenager, I'm not, I'm not suggesting what I'm about to say. I'm just telling you what he, what he shared. So when I, when I became a teenager, my parents gave me no rules. They just said, hey, uh, we may not know what you're doing, But God does. And he said, that really got my attention. And he said, when I started going on the wrong road, I started thinking, you know, God sees what's going on. I remember where I was. I I can take you right now to Perry, Florida, to Burton Baptist Church. Well, it's a different name now, but Burton Baptist Church. And to the room I was in when I learned as a little boy that God sees everything we do. And there's this thought of like, whoa. Wow, I mean, like I never thought of it that way before. Until I was taught that by a Sunday school teacher. That's a that's a pretty incredible thought, isn't it? Uh, God sees everything we do, but the evil think we're getting away with it. We, we, no one sees what we're doing, and because they think they can get away with it, they'll go to great lengths in their evil. So David's concerned about that, so he asks for protection from the lengths to which his enemies will go. So David here is asking for. Protection. He wants God to watch over him as he's encountering uh, all of these attacks of the enemy. And you say, Wade, what do we do when we're surrounded by evil and, and danger and, and, and the things that are real in our world? We simply do what David did. We ask God for his protection, right? Ask God to watch over us. Ask God to keep us in his care. So the first thing David does in this prayer where he asks God to hear his voice is to ask for protection. The second thing he does is David expresses confidence. As he's praying, you can see his faith rising up. You can see his confidence rising up as he's reminded who God is. And he expresses confidence in a couple of things. First of all, he expresses confidence in, in divine retribution. David understands 
everyone's accountable. And because everyone's accountable, they will be judged. Look what he says there in verse 7. But God shoots His arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. Speaking of God's retributions. Yes, I have enemies. They think they're not accountable. But one day they will be judged. God will punish them. And by the way, this is a very important doctrine. Judgment is a very important doctrine. Because if, if there's no such thing as judgment... Hitler got away with it. Right? If there's not a moral law given by a moral law giver who holds everyone accountable, then Hitler got away with it. And Pol Pot and these other evil folks got away with it. That's a big deal. And when you understand there is a moral law, there is a moral law giver who holds us accountable for breaking his moral law, that really helps you understand how great the gospel is, right? Because guess what? We've all broken His moral law. Can I get a witness? Anybody here ever sinned? Yeah, I know I have, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's, he's perfect. He's holy. He's given us His expectations, His moral law, and we've all broken it. And because we've all broken it, we see our need for the only one who can forgive us for that sin. Jesus Christ who came and took the wrath of God for our breaking of God's law. Pretty incredible, right? That's why these TV preachers that never talk about sin are, are leading people astray. People will never see the beauty of the gospel if they don't understand the bad news. That they are lawbreakers, transgressors, enemies of God who must be forgiven. And the only way to be forgiven is through the reconciling work of Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead so we could be redeemed, right? But, you know, you know there's... Uh, I'll name names, why not? Joel Osteen. You turn on Joel Osteen, he smiles, he's got a pretty suit on, and he talks 30 minutes about, you know how God's for you and, and everything's going to be good and you're okay and I'm okay. And then he said, at the very end of the sermon, he goes, now if you want to be saved, we'll pray this prayer with me. And I'm thinking, why would anybody want to be saved after hearing that? He just told me I'm okay. He just told me I'm in the club. Why do I need to be saved? Saved from what? Right? Saved from my Toyota Camry so I can get a Mercedes Benz? Right? Listen to me. The good news is good news because there's such bad news. And if we don't understand we're sinners, we'll never understand how good the good news really is. Grace, listen, grace shines brightly against the the backdrop of our depravity. And, And one of the reasons we may not be amazed by grace is because we've forgotten how we've broken God's moral law, right? Now, all that was extra. That wasn't, I didn't mean to go there, but, but, but I don't even know what I was talking about. But, it, but it's important that we understand that God is a God who will judge. Right? You'll either be judged by God or your sins have been judged by God when He punished your sins on the cross through Christ. So, uh, David expresses confidence in divine retribution. The enemies, my enemies think they're going to get away with it, but they won't. And, and he mentions three things about God's judgment. And this is a sermon in and of itself. First of all, God's judgment is sudden. 
Look in verse 7. But God shoots His arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. If you look at the parables that Jesus shares about His return and judgment and people being unprepared, these, these parables really convey this idea of suddenness. You know, people are just living life. They're having uh, parties. They're getting married. They're, they have jobs. They're buying land. And then suddenly, Christ returns. And people need to understand that uh, we're not guaranteed anything. We're not guaranteed another blink of our eye, another beat of our heart. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. At any moment, we can find ourselves standing before a holy God, right? We need to be ready because judgment, when it comes, will come suddenly. And he mentions here that the, 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 the retribution of God will be sudden, unexpected. Secondly, God's judgment is sure, verse 8. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against Him. All who see them will wag their heads. In other words, God knows what He's doing and God thoroughly completely judges those who have rebelled against Him. His judgment will be sure. Uh, And and then, God's judgment is sobering. Look in verse 9. Then, when the evildoers get their recompense, then all mankind fears. They see that God's not playing games. Then all mankind fears. And tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. In other words... When God decides to judge, it gets people's attention. This could be judgment in this life. It could be eternal judgment. But when God thunders with His righteous judgments, it it is sobering that God is God and He does judge sin, which is a reminder of why we need Jesus. I like what William Van Gimmeren says, Old Testament scholar. He writes, Their punishment, these evildoers in Psalm 64, their punishment will be based on the law of retaliation. That is, their sins will boomerang on them. I like that metaphor, don't you? These these evildoers are doing their thing. They think they're getting away with it. Like a boomerang, it'll come back to bite them. Right? What they had planned to do, the Lord will do to them. He will shoot them down as it were with arrows. The evil they had planned to do with their tongues will fall back on them and bring about their ruin. The shame they had planned to bring on the godly will come on them. There will be this this reversal brought about by God where the wicked will be judged. And there will be a a reversal in that moment. And so there's this divine retribution that David is confident will happen, that God will take care of the evil. But then there's this divine purpose. Verse 9, Then all mankind fears, they tell what God has brought about, and ponder what He has done. In other words, when people see God's devastating judgment, it will cause them to proclaim and ponder. They'll proclaim what God has done. They'll ponder what He has done. Again, His judgment is a sobering reality. Divine purpose. And so we need to understand that there is a such thing as accountability to God. And God is a God who will judge sin and will deal with evil. In this life, certainly in the life to come, no one gets away with anything. Our only hope is to have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, who died taking the wrath of God in our 
place, but the reality of His judgment is a sobering reality. And we need to tell people that, don't we? That if you don't experience God as Savior, you will experience Him as judge. And that is serious, serious business. Over in Revelation chapter 20, there's this picture of the great white throne of judgment. And those who have not been redeemed by Christ will stand before that great white throne of judgment. And, and there will be books opened up with all of their deeds written down. It's like a, an entire uh, recounting of their life. Every sin, every act of iniquity, every act of evil is in that book. It says they'll be judged by the things in those books and those who are not in Christ will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. I was reading today that that phrase, lake of fire, or I was, this is yesterday, that phrase, lake of fire, doesn't even translate in other languages well. Bible translators, when they're trying to translate the phrase, lake of fire, into other languages, they have a hard time because fire and water, are such, they're two different things, right? How do you, how do you communicate a lake of fire? It just doesn't kind of make sense. It's, it's like a, and, and they, they kind of go with expanse of fire or wide field of fire to try to get the point of cross. But, but it doesn't sound pleasant, does it? A lake of fire. That is God's judgment. And so we should flee to Christ. He is our only hope. God loves us, provides salvation through Christ. But if we reject Christ, if we continue on in our stubborn rebellion against God, we will be judged. Now there are aspects of God's wrath in this life, and there certainly there's eternal wrath in Eternity for those that do not know Christ. Serious business. So, in this prayer, David asks for protection from, from some things. He expresses confidence in a couple of things. And then third, David calls others to a couple of things. Number one, David calls others to rejoice. Look how the psalm ends in verse 10. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exult. And so here's the first call that David makes. Let the righteous one rejoice. If you have been saved and transformed by God, you've been made righteous by Him, by an act of His grace, you ought to rejoice because all of that judgment, that sudden, sure, sobering judgment is not for you. You can rejoice, right? You've been saved from that wrath. So let the righteous rejoice. And he says, and take refuge in Him. This psalm is a call for people to run to God's salvation so they can escape the wrath that is to come. David calls others to rejoice and to make God their refuge. One of the realities of the Bible is judgment. And when we preach and teach the judgment of the Bible, it is a clarion call for people to get right with God, right? Uh, You know, there was a day, I think I said this in a sermon not too long ago, there was a day when they would describe a preacher at a church as he's a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Ever heard somebody say that about a preacher? Ever heard that before? And now when people say it, it's a pejorative. It's a a negative. Uh, it's a, it's a, I'm laughing at Lawson. We talked about that word this week. Um, it's, a, it's a negative word, and uh, they mean it in a negative way. That if a preacher is a hellfire and brimstone preacher, that's a, that's a bad thing, a negative thing. 
Uh, I've heard people say, I'm, I'm not going to such and such a church because that preacher is a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Well, listen, come in real close. If you preach the Bible consistently, you're going to talk about hellfire and brimstone. It's in the Bible. Now, certainly, you point people to God's grace through Christ, the hope, the love of God found in Jesus Christ. But again, if people don't understand the bad news, they'll never see the beauty of the good news. And so we've got to consistently... Hey, Jesus talked about hell, right? He talked about fire. He talked about Gehenna. He talked about Lazarus wanting just a, a, a dip of water on his tongue, right? And so you and I need to consistently talk about God's judgment while pointing people to the fact that they can make God their refuge through Jesus Christ. I love how the psalm ends. Let all the upright in heart exult. If you're in Christ, if you're saved, if you're His, you have a relationship with the covenant God through His Son, through His Messiah, then you can exult because God's judgment is not for you. His judgment has been poured out on another who took His judgment in your place. And that's really, really, really good news. Amen?